Okay. Can you hear me now? <laughs> got matching hats. Look at that. Matching hats. You ready? Yep. All right, let's do it. <clears throat> What's up, UX fam? How's your mom and them? Welcome to another episode of Beyond UX Design. I'm Jeremy. If you're new here, welcome to the show. I am super stoked to have you. If you haven't done it already, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are a regular here and you feel like you're getting something out of the show, I would really appreciate you leaving a five-star review. That'll help me out so much. And I also want to give a shout out to Radu Vucha. We had him on last week and after the show, he was so impressed with his with his time on Beyond UX that he decided to become a patron. So Radu, thank you so much for your continued support every month. I can't tell you how much that means to me. And as always, thanks so much to Chris, Siraquan, and Stacy for their, their support. And if you want to join Chris, Siraquan, Stacy, and Radu and help keep the show independent and ad-free, you could become a patron for as little as $3 a month. And if you do that, you'll get some sweet, sweet perks for your support. And of course, if you think the show is worth sharing, then for the love of God, tell somebody about it. So I've got uh, one of my good buddies. We've been knowing each other for how long? Uh, we met uh, on ADP list. Uh, Maybe about a year ago. Was it that? Was it that long? Okay, I thought it was uh, that recent. I thought it was. I thought it was longer than that. <laughs> Feels like eternity. I'm really stoked to have Bobby on. We're going to talk about his transition uh, into UX design. He's a he's a, a UX. I don't want to call you a noob. You're not a noob. Uh, I think you're, you're you're past the noob point at this stage. But uh, a junior UX designer, and he's he's transitioning, doing the career shift. So we're going to talk about his journey today. But Bobby is a product designer. He's currently digging into problems at Cvent, which is an events and meetings technology company. And his passion is simple, really. It's to enrich, help, create, and delight. Bobby's been fortunate enough to, to polish this passion as an entrepreneurial home baker, hospitality professional, theater actor, director, choreographer, and gig worker before transitioning into the world of UX and product design. Curiosity and collaboration continue to drive the work that he does as a designer. In his words, let me be the springboard to someone else's amazing idea. So, Bobby, welcome to Beyond UX Design, man. It's great to have you. Thanks, Jeremy. Happy to be here. And also, I wanted to shout out Radu as well, because that podcast last week was phenomenal. Was it good? Oh, good, It was man. so great. We talk a lot about the term user on my team as well, so. Yeah, stop saying user. Well, that's good. I love it, man. I hope it resonated with some folks. That stop saying user testing has gotten a lot of listens. <laughs> I'm actually surprised more than some of the others. Yeah, that I think that idea, stop saying user, humanizing our, our people that we build these these uh, these tools for every day, is resonating with some folks. So Bobby, uh, we, we talked a little bit about you in that bio a minute ago, but I want you to tell us about you, your background, how you got into UX, because I want to dig into that transition from all the stuff you used to do into the stuff that you do now as a UX designer and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, for sure. It's funny listening to that introduction because it sounds like a whole hell of a lot that I've done before I landed into this world. And I think that's exciting. And I also think that it helps sort of add to the experience that I bring to the table as, a, as like you said, a newbie designer or junior designer. Uh, so a little bit about my background. I started my career in the theater industry and musical theater. So I was an actor, director, and choreographer uh, at a variety of levels, a member of two of the unions. I also transitioned into home baking uh, and started a, a baking company for, for a little bit of time. And in between work in the theater world, and in baking, uh, the 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 business ebbs and flows, right? And so uh, as an actor or as an entrepreneur, you're sort of always finding ways to make money. So I say gig worker because I've kind of done odds and end jobs throughout. And uh, when the pandemic hit, I was laying in bed one night, 3 a.m., couldn't sleep. At the time, I was a server in a restaurant slash manager, and everything stopped. <laughs> and so it was kind of like, well, what am I going to do? So I was on the interwebs and uh, felt, stumbled upon a, a website called Career Karma, and it was talking about technology and getting into it. And I, I stumbled upon user experience design. And as I started reading about it, I was like, uh, the light bulb hit, right? Like I said, this is nice. everything I've ever done in my life, except with technology instead of in the actual like human space, right? Or, or three-dimensional space, I like to say. Uh, and so I sort of went down that rabbit hole. I started YouTubing everything and everybody that I could just to learn more about it and uh, really kind of figure out how I could take those skill sets that I had and use them to transition me into the world of UX. 
So I'm curious because I, I hear a lot of people talk in their past life about how I, I wanted to be a creative problem solver. I wanted to solve problems and all this stuff. And when I talk to a lot of people, you know, I, we met on ADP list. I talk to a lot of people in places like ADP list, but even other places as well. And when they tell me that, you know, I, wa- I want to solve problems, I want to do this. The first question I ask is why UX? Why not front-end engineering? Because they're creative. Why not product managers? Because they're creative. Is there something that, you know, made you gravitate towards UX design versus some of the other potential routes that you could have taken to get into tech or software? That's actually an awesome question because when I was exploring, uh, I did have a a bit of an interest in front-end engineering. Back-end engineering, not so much, but front-end, I felt like I kind of could understand and grasp. And so I dabbled with a couple apps that sort of help you learn code, right? I had no idea what code was before before I explored this. Um, And there's something about uh, the world of design versus engineering. Engineering really tapped into that logical piece of my mind, right? Um, and how to build something. And maybe it's a little more black and white in a sense, right? Because if the code isn't written properly, it doesn't work. Right. Whereas for me, like the world of design lives a little bit more in that gray area, mm, right? Okay. And, yeah. and I'm an yeah. emotional person um, <laughs> yeah. and logical, but I think I lead like with my emotional mind frame. And so uh, I was attracted to this idea of, creating experiences, right? That's yeah. what I did before this. You know, theater is an experience. Um, making mm, a custom yeah, cake for a birthday party is an experience, right? And so I just gravitated towards that idea of knowing that I was creating something, you know, in in the digital space, but for the human experience. I love that, yeah. That's what was attractive to it. it, it, it I love that you mentioned front-end versus back It takes a certain type of person to be a Java developer and writing Whoa. like SQL queries, you know? <laughs> so much respect, <laughs> so much respect, but I, Absolutely. I, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, but even, you know, it's funny because, you know, with uh, with something like JavaScript, you you get one little typo, you know, the wrong character or whatever, and the whole thing just fails. So it's it's funny, It is it is very... Uh, to a certain extent, at least very black and white, you know, uh, much different from like what we do, where there is that kind of gray or like you said. So I love that. Well, it was, it's interesting that you say that because, um, as the more I learn, I think that, uh, you know, we strive for black and white, right? Like we strive for that happy path and like the perfect experience, but in reality, humans are humans and technology is technology and it will never well, I shouldn't say never, but more often than not, it probably won't be that. And so I think that's the exciting part is to design the experience like this is what happens if it's perfect, but what if? Um, and that's the exciting part for me. Ah, I love that. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that you've you've discovered that because a lot of people coming out of places like boot camps, they expect that sort of perfect perfect process every time, the black and white, this is how you do it. And if you don't do it, you're wrong. And you know, it's it, you've learned that pretty good. How long have you been in your full-time role? So I'm actually, a year. this month is 11 months. So I'm almost, 11 months, a, year. almost a year. Right. Okay. Almost I thought a year. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so let's talk about that journey. I want to talk about that journey a little bit. When you and I met, you had already been searching for a job for some time. We talked a little bit about, you know, your past experience in the service industry and these experiences and in, in acting and, and, and doing uh, stage theater and things like that. Tell me a little bit like that day you were in working in the restaurant. You're like, I can't do this anymore. You sort of hit that wall going through that process all the way into the full-time job. What was that process like for you? I would say it was a roller coaster ride that I did not anticipate or expect. As I mentioned, I was spending a lot of my time um, in the restaurant world. Management was an opportunity, but something that I found I wasn't really passionate about, and I just couldn't really see um, a clear path for, for that career. And so, as I mentioned, I started exploring different options and what a career might look like, and learning about UX, the thing that intrigued me most was that it's it's problem solving and it's creative problem solving. Um, and there's that whole debate, you know, design isn't art, art isn't design. And I think it lives somewhere in between, right? Because you do need a little bit of an artistic sensibility to create a, a forward thinking solution, in my opinion, right? And so I think that the more I read about it, the more I started connecting the dots for myself as to what skill sets I had from theater and from being a small business owner and from restaurants, right? Like uh, in theater, as a dancer, it's all about visual communication. You're not using your words, you're using your body to tell that story. Um, in, in restaurants, it's all about creating an experience, right? Like a steak is a steak, yeah. but it's that experience that you have while you're there. But that also is a really great introduction to like processes. And so kind of understanding mm, that yeah. like that that mindset of a process and creating an experience already sort of existed in the in this past 
life or career that I had um, that I could bring it to UX and it just seemed to be a little bit more defined. Um, and so for me, I chose the boot camp route because I'm a very curious person and I love to learn new things, but I also like fizzle out with that excitement every once in a while, right? <laughs> you wanted some structure to it, to the learning. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I actually, you know, I chose a boot camp where we did meet virtually, you know, two, twice a week. And so like I had some accountability to help me sort of like make that journey into UX. And so for me, that was really good. And one of the things that I kind of identified before I, I decided to join the boot camp were really the high level things I was looking for, right? I found joy in restaurants at some point. I found joy in theater at some point. So like what wasn't satisfying me? Mm. And it was this idea of flexibility, stability, and creativity. And it's a little bit of an like oxymoron to say flexible and stable, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you know, it's funny when you said that. I was like, oh, interesting. But then I was like, oh, I know what he means. <laughs> yeah, so like flexible in the sense of uh, I had options. I could work from anywhere. I didn't have to be at a physical location to perform my job. Things like um, having the holidays back, right? In restaurants and in theater, like your your bread and butter is on the holidays. So Oh, God, yeah, nights, weekends. Yeah. Stability. <laughs> <laughs> meaning a paycheck, right? A paycheck that that was constant and and coming in all of the time and 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 good pay, right? Um, and then creativity, like I said earlier, problem solving, being creative, asking the who's, the what's, the when's, the where's, and the why's. Uh, those are things that like excite me on a day to day basis. Okay, so you said something a second ago. I want to dig into a little bit. You mentioned specifically that things happened in like unexpected ways you didn't expect. I'm curious. What were you expecting <laughs> and how was it different from the what actually happened? So I think um, the unexpected part of my journey was that uh, once I enrolled in the boot camp and sort of dove into YouTube and dove into Figma and dove into Whimsical and started learning all of the tools, um, the first sort of loop in the roller coaster was, wow, this really isn't about any of that at all. <laughs> you know, like that wow. was the first, like the first thing that I kind of learned even before graduating. The next part was, you know, I'd set a goal for myself that I uh, wanted to at least land an interview or so, if not a job before graduation. Um, and so I think part of the journey was uh, I was excelling in boot camp and, and really like putting my putting my mind to it and sort of like grinding away at, at learning as quickly and as much as I possibly could being a sponge and um, had the opportunity to go through an interview and make it to a final round and then not get the job. And then that was very discouraging because I think, um, you know, it's a lofty goal, obviously. And there's in hindsight, like that would have been just a mess, right? Like there's still so much <laughs> to learn. Um, yeah. But you know, I think it made me second guess myself. It made me question, like, is this something that I want to do? Do I want to go through um, the rigor of the interview process? I thought that that was even more intense than like the rigor of an audition process for like a musician or for an actor. And, and that's a pretty intense process. But, um, and so I think my expectation of, I have this idea, I want to be this thing. I can relate so much to it because of my past. And then sort of meeting those challenges were just, that was the hard part, you know, was that sort of like the mental, the mental clarity of like, just keep consistent and be patient. Oh, I love that. The next thing I want to talk about is when we met, I can't remember if we met a couple times or once or how this came about. This was like, a, it was just like a, about a year ago at this point, <laughs> but we started talking and uh, like a, we had a conversation and then a few days later, a week later, whenever it was, you posted on LinkedIn, the cake study. And I love the cake study. I tell so many people about the cake study. Uh, and what's funny is I just interviewed uh, Colton and Ludovic from Kick-Ass UX and Colton did almost a very similar thing to you in that he was creating a, a board game and created a case study about his board game. And the first thing I thought of when he said that was like Bobby and his cake study. So tell me about that. I, I want to know how that evolved. And if this is like kind of a two part question, one, I know I want to know how it evolved. And two, I'd like to know how that helped you versus your sort of standard boot camp case study with the checklist and this and that, you know, I did this and this and this and this. Talk, can you talk a little bit about that for me? I want to, I want to dive into that. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to Colton and them too. That was a great episode. I listened to all of your episodes, by the <laughs> Thanks, way. Uh, but, and so thank you for the shout out in that episode. By the way, I didn't just invite you on. 
to, to, to like, you know, schmooze me. Okay. I mean, I, like, I appreciate the compliment, Bobby, but no, I'm just, I'm kidding, man. I'm kidding. But honestly, like the cake study was your idea and it was one of those things where yeah, it was your idea. Yeah. So I had, um, you were on a panel and, uh, there were, there were four of you and I connected with all four of you individually because I was like, wow, these are really cool people and I just want to get to know them. So we connected the ADP list um, and I was doing a walkthrough of my <laughs> my uh, portfolio um, and it was very much a boot camp presentation of, of, a, of, a, of a project. And then we started talking about everything else that I had done because you were inquiring about, you know, my past life. And you mentioned like, that's really interesting the way that you've connected the dots between making cakes and the UX process. You should do something like with that, right? To stand out. So that was kind of your idea. So I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) Okay, well, cool. I'll be honest, (laughs) dude. I have conversations with like people like earlier in the day and I can't remember (laughs) them by the afternoon, but yeah, anyway, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) So yeah, so I I took that idea and kind of let it simmer for a little bit and like, well, what does that mean and what does that look like? And then just decided to go for it, right? And and kind of put the constraints on the cake study and say, okay, if I'm putting this on LinkedIn, it needs to be, you know, a few slides, it needs to be communication, you know, with as few words as possible, things like that, right? And really thinking about like, what is the process that I go through when I take on a client for a custom cake? And how is that process similar to UX? And so really just that sparked the idea. The suggestion sparked the idea for me to to go ahead and do it. And then I hesitated for a long time and just said, you know, screw it. Yeah. I'm going to post it and see what what it, what happens. So the other thing that I love that you did is you you did it in public, right? Like you didn't just shove it on your website and send it to a recruiter. I love that you posted it online. I love that you posted on LinkedIn and I love that you made a carousel out of it too, which I honestly would have never thought of because if I had done this, honestly, I would have probably put like all kinds of crap on a website and just like sent a link. But you you did that uh, that carousel long before the carousels were like super popular, by the way. Like this was like a year ago. Uh, and so, <laughs> I don't know, you're, you're a trendsetter, dude. So uh, influencer. Yeah, you're yeah. an influencer, man. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, when you, when you posted that cake study, what kind of reaction did you get? How'd you feel about the cake study versus your other case studies you created from the bootcamp. I'm curious how that helped you. Well, I think first and foremost, it just gave me traction on LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn, I knew about it, but first of all, it was like a whole new tool set to mm. me, right? Because really, you know, as a server, we don't really use that. In theater, we really don't use LinkedIn, right? So it was this whole other form of networking that I was not used to. And to be honest, it's my weak point is networking, right? And it's it makes me feel uncomfortable mm. and I don't like to do it. And so it was all the more reasons to do it, right? Like, oh, yeah, like <laughs> take it. this idea and don't just keep it for yourself, put it out there. Um, so I think it gave me a little bit of visibility. It definitely, I did hear from some recruiters. Really? Um, but I think more importantly, what what it did was it uh, opened the door for other newbies to kind of lean into like who they are and present themselves in a way that's authentic and true to them rather than try to fit the mold of what you think somebody's expecting. Yeah. Um, and from that, I think is that was the biggest value. It gave me the confidence to present myself in a way that I knew enough about these concepts that I could be valuable to a company, but also that I'm humble enough to learn, you know, how does this translate into this new, this new career in this new world? And so in that, it helped me clarify what I was looking for in a job. And so then my search became a little bit more focused. Yeah. See that, I think that's something that a lot of people kind of forget about, right? Like when you go out to try to find a job as a UX designer, there are literally tons of jobs you could do. There's hundreds or thousands of places you could go. And each one has a different process and different roles and responsibilities and everything else. And when you go out there and do the scatter shot, like just throw a bunch of crap at a wall and see what sticks, it's a lot harder, I think, to find something. But when you focus and when you narrow down, not what you can do, but where you want to go, it makes it, I think, easier for you to stand out because you can craft your your pitch, you can craft your about, you know, tell me about yourself question. You can craft that to that industry or to that company or, or to that, you know, whatever, whatever that, whatever it is you're going for. And I think you have a, a, you know, a better likelihood of standing out. Well, and you make a great point with that too, right? Is because I think, you know, 
it helped me align with like where I wanted to go and what industry. Like I am, I am of the mindset, at least now in my career, right? That user experience is user experience and it's everywhere. And so I can do it anywhere, but as a new designer, do I want to work in a place where I have to experience the learning curve of the industry or do I want to work in a place that's going to, you know, check all of my boxes, but also be an industry that I maybe have some idea about so that it's easier to, to focus on this new skill set rather than focus on, well, I don't know anything about insurance, you know, like, so like that would be another hurdle. And so I think in a way, identifying the, the parts of, of me as a baker and what was exciting to me as a baker sort of helped guide me in that search, which I think ultimately is how I ended up at Cvent, right? Which is in events and meetings and hospitality in a way, right? So it's a great point. I want to dive into that. So you landed at Cvent, which is a hospitality, like event uh, marketing firm, right? Is that what they do, right? Or events and meetings. meetings. Okay. Yeah, so, so technology for like large scale conferences all the way down to meetings. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like doing that cake study and landing at Cvent was sort of an accident or do you think they actually were tied together? Like, do, do you feel like you ended up at Cvent because of your background? I think it helped me a lot. It also helped that I connected with somebody who worked at Cvent, right? So <laughs> that's probably the know, biggest part. Yeah. Always, <laughs> the referral, the referral aspect helped. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I do think, I do think though, like to your point, right, is that you know I connected with with MC and. I don't know for sure if any of the hiring managers or any of the recruiters, you know, looked at my LinkedIn. I could only make the assumption that they did. And so that they that they saw that. Right. Um, And it's also something that I talked about in my interview. So, again, it goes back to was that the direct path? Mm, Can't really say. But did it help me be more confident and clear in what I felt I was bringing to the table as somebody new who doesn't have a master's degree in human centered design? You know, I think it really helped like in that capacity, which I think is really I mean, that that, I wouldn't discount that either. I mean, that's huge, like having that confidence. So do me a favor. I would love to know. Go and if any of those recruiters or hiring managers are still at Cvent, go back and ask them. And I'm sure they would remember you. We tend to like, you know, at least I do. I tend to remember why we hired certain people. When we interview people, I, I remember like, oh, they they stood out versus the other candidate because of A, B, and C. Maybe every, maybe I'm weird. I don't know if everybody does that, but I would love to know. <laughs> I really would. Because I mean, and it'd be interesting for, for us to report back to our larger audience to say that was something that stood out. Or maybe the opposite is true. They didn't care at all. They just liked you as a person or whatever. And maybe, you know, your, your other portfolio, your other work or whatever, whatever it was stood out. I'd love to know if you don't mind asking. I don't want to give you a homework, but. Yeah, absolutely. No, I would ask. It is interesting though, because I, as you were saying that I was kind of recalling the interview process and I, I do remember having the conversation with uh, one of the heads of, it's a huge UX team. So one of the heads and he was really taken back by like how I connected the dots from theater and baking and UX because at surface you're like what the hell is this guy thinking that makes no sense right and so I think that again you you sort of inspiring me to look outside of what this framework is that we're taught in boot camp which is you know arguably nothing like the real world um (laughs) uh to think outside of that box and 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 find those again transferable skills that you bring to it. And as soon as you can do that and then speak clearly about it, like you've got them. See, I think that's the, what you just the last part, speak clearly about it. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I think a lot of people fail when when people hear, oh, the soft skills, oh, the transferable skills. It's just they they assume, well, that will make me a better UX designer or that will get me a job. And what I strongly believe is that will not get you the job if you can't articulate how it will make you a better UX designer, right? So in your, you know, if you've got a background in psychology, how that won't make you a UX designer. But if you can articulate how what you learned will apply or should apply or does apply, you know, and, and again, in your case with the cake study, with the, your background in, in, you know, dance and, and again, this visual kind of uh, communication and all that stuff, I think that's the thing is, is articulating it. So I I did an interview long time ago with Christine Yoon from LinkedIn, and she said this quote, I think it was, I'm paraphrasing somewhat, but don't lead with where you've been. If you're a career shifter, don't lead with where you've been, but talk about how where you've been will be the fuel that gets you to go where you want to go. 
let that be what drives you, but don't lead to it. But it's the articulating. I think that's the piece. That's such, that's such great advice. All right. The networking, you mentioned this, connecting with someone at CVEN. Tell me how that came about. You Did you find them on LinkedIn? Did you find them at a random meetup? How did, how did that networking thing work for you? I'd love to hear your story about that. Yeah. And like I said before, I suck at it. I still suck at it, right? Like I'm in the <laughs> trap right now of landing the role. I'm in my first year as a new designer, you know, trying to find my, my, my footing in this and forgetting like, oh, hey, you still need to go network with people inside the company is a challenge I've learned, but even also outside of the company. But so uh, I actually uh, synced with, with MC through ADP list as well. And um, it was one of those things where I had just reached out to a bunch of people, wanted to kind of find a connection and get advice from, from folks in different industries, you know, different size companies, different paths and all of that. And so once I connected with her, I did a portfolio walkthrough and she gave some feedback and I did an iteration and I followed up with her again. And so I just really felt like a genuine, authentic connection with her based on the couple of meetings that we had. And sort of through that organic relationship building, she brought up, hey, we're hiring check out the company if you're interested. So this is something I want to point out. I want to stress that something like ADP List is a great way for you to connect with another human, but you have to let it be an organic connection that grows organically. It cannot just be you showing up to a meeting on ADP List or something you met on LinkedIn or even a meetup in person and just ask them for something. I just want to stress that at no point did you ask for anything. I just want to stress that. You let the conversation lead and you may have directed it where you wanted it to go, but at at no point, it seems like at least, did you say, hey, MC, send me a referral link. You know, do me a favor. Can you do this for me, right? And she saw something in you. And I just want to stress that. Like I see so many people on LinkedIn They'll send me a connection request. Hey, can you send me a referral? Hey, are you hiring? Hey, can you do this? That's not how networking works. The way that you did it, I think is wonderful. You know, ADP list is just an avenue for that relationship. LinkedIn is not a silver bullet. It's how you treat those relationships that will help you to land that next gig. I just want to stress that. <laughs> You're so right. And it, and it, and I, I'm not ballsy enough to be like, hey, give me a referral or hey, can you do this <laughs> thing for me? I don't know you. But but I am sort of ballsy enough to to say, hey, I'm interested in this thing. You seem like a cool person. Tell me what you like and tell me what you don't like about this. Right. And so like taking that first step of, again, putting putting the work out there to, to, to be evaluated sort of helped the relationship grow rather than just, Oh, I'm going to connect with you and then awkwardly have a conversation in my list of questions because, you know, chat GTP told me these are questions I should ask when I'm networking, right? (laughs) Like to just, well, what do I want to know from this person? You know, and, and, and maybe it'll land a job, maybe it won't, but the information that they can provide me or the feedback that they can provide me is only going to help me grow. Right. So do that with as many people as you can. Absolutely. I think that's the other thing too, is that, you know, this happened, I don't know how many conversations you have with different people all over the place, but you know, that was one conversation out of probably a lot. And a lot of people was like, oh, I sent a message and no one responded. Yeah, that happens. Like networking is not the easy path. (laughs) It's just the most effective path. I think it's going to take a long time. Uh, so anyway, I, it was funny. I actually have uh, an interview scheduled with a uh, woman, Megan Thomas, to to talk about networking via LinkedIn and how not to do it. She has a really good example. She posted recently of somebody sent her like literally wanted her to like write a, write a book for her. And so I, I've got an interview coming up. So that's going to be a really interesting one. It is interesting too, right? Because what what we what we forget about as as career transitioners or as somebody looking to get into the field, right? Is there's a lot on our plate and we kind of forget to be that experienced designer and have empathy for the person you're reaching out to, to think, Hey, I'm really excited and I'm hungry to get this job, but they also have a full-time job and they have a family (laughs) and they have things going on. Right. So I'm not their priority and that's okay. Yeah. That's a really great perspective. I love that you mentioned that because a lot of people fail to see this like, Oh, that person is online. They must be willing to chat with me for 10 hours and write a book for me. I I love that perspective. So I'm curious when you uh, got the job, 
were you ready? <laughs> were you prepared? What did you feel like when your first day on the job? Would, how, what did it feel like for you? So it's so funny because I initially want to say, hell yeah, I was ready. I was so excited to make this transition. I felt like I had had a solid understanding. And then I started and was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. so much of it is, is not even necessarily like the nuts and bolts of UX. Like that part of it, I felt like I had a solid understanding or again, could relate it to my previous experience so that I could understand it. That's a little heady, but if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The parts of it that were overwhelming to me were it was a completely different work environment that I was ever accustomed to. One, I'm working from home now, which is fantastic and amazing. True, yeah. Oh, going from restaurants and everything, yeah, where you've got to be on your feet all day. And yeah, yeah, it's different. Complete 180. It is. But what I will say is, and, and this is also part of why I was excited to work at Cvent was sort of this, the organizational structure. And, and the team that I work on, we call them orbs, had a variety of skill levels, a variety of ethnicities, a variety of um, mm. gender, and that was important to me. And so the team yeah. that I was, was assigned to or that I'm currently on, although we shifted a little, was extremely supportive of saying when you're ready to take on a project there was there obviously there's an expectation at some point but so i started taking on work fairly easy or fairly early in my time um and a lot of that is because you know nobody likes onboarding right that's kind of the, sure, more, yeah, that's yeah, the boring yeah, part yeah. of it um <laughs> but so i took on a small project fairly early on with the support of my team and then as i started going i going through it i was like oh this is nothing like boot camp at all. There are so many other factors that you don't take into consideration. And the biggest, I mean, the biggest is relationships with other teams, right? Uh, how product designers think how, versus how product managers think versus how engineers think and how you're sort of connecting the dots between all three of them. And I thought I had a solid understanding of that, right? Because uh, from my experience in theater, you know, you speak differently to a, a designer than you do to an actor, than you do to a stage technician, but it it's similar in theory, but in practice, not at all, <laughs> you know? And so really kind of jumping in head first, like, oh, I got this. And then being like, whoa, I need to pump the brakes a little bit was, humbling to say the least, but also I, I know I'm in the right environment because I, I'm not fearing for anything, you know, like I'm going to get in trouble or I'm going to lose my job. There's support for me to make the mistake and, and, and learn and grow. Yeah. So I was going to ask, you know, what was your, what's your biggest learning in the last year? Would you say that, that aspect the learn the people, the, you know, the, the people, the relationships, the how to deal with other other teams? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. The uh, people, people, people skills, right? Like it's all about people. We're designing technology. We're designing, you know, screens. But it's at the end of the day, it's all about people. It's people that you work with. It's people, you know, the the product managers. It's the engineers that are going to build it. It's the the clients or customers, not users, that are going to <laughs> to use the tool, right? Like so, it's really like cultivating those relationships. For me, the challenge is how do I do that in a work from home environment? And that's something that it's even hard. almost it a year really in, hard. I'm still struggling with to identify because it you don't have the water cooler chat. You don't have the random pop by the desk, right? Like you miss that. I know. It's so big. It's yeah. and and so it's it's interesting to me, but I'd say that's the biggest thing that I've learned since starting. Do you guys do, I know a lot of big remote first companies do like a, a big gathering of people once a year. Like I know Automatic, for instance, they make WordPress and all that. They have a big thing that like they pick a different country and they send it like South, South Africa or like, I think they did it in Singapore when you're, do you guys do something like that where you bring everybody together? Unfortunately, no, uh, because we're, we're, we're global. So there's headquarters uh, in DC area and I believe there's an office in Portland and Austin but we do a, a company-wide every year. And for folks who are located near headquarters or some of our other offices during our company-wide, they all get to attend in person and the remote folks do it virtually. What is 
cool about that experience is that we get to use the product. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as sort of like, as sort of a user, if you will, not to say user, but as an attendee. Oh, I eat your own dog food. I get it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, what's exciting for me now is I just recently had a new uh, senior designer join our team and she's located in Tampa, Florida. That's where I'm at. And so we do have like a return to work office policy. So we've kind of established our own little office. So every Wednesday we get together and we'll go to a coffee shop or we'll go to like a ramen spot and have our like office time together and work together. So at least there's like the ability to form the relationship with her. You know, that part of it is, is cool. All right. So last question, what advice would you give yourself a year ago? One, one year younger Bobby, <laughs> what would you tell yourself that you, you wish you would have known then? What advice? I think it comes back to the three points that I've kind of touched on and probably things that I've learned, right? So one is be authentic, two is be intentional, and three is be patient. I think those are like the three things that I would say, right? Be authentic in who you are and what you bring to the table and what value that can add to the the company that you're looking to join. And don't discredit previous experience that you've had. Find a way to connect the dots and that will make you more authentic. Be intentional, I think, is the same thing, right? Like, what do I want? What am I looking for? What do I want my first experience to be? How do I want to grow? UX yourself, and then the last thing is, is be patient, right? And I think that's just personality. Also, right, I come from an industry, you know, the restaurant industry is, I want oh, yeah. what I want it now, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure, so yeah. that's that's also something I would learn is like, it takes time. And, it, and, and when you say quick and you hear things like sprints and epics and all of that, you know, that for me, that conjures up like a universal movie and a sprint is like an Olympic race. Right. <laughs> and, and it's not quite literal. Yeah. It's not quite literal. Right. And so like to, to allow myself the patience to grow and learn and know that that, you know, not to be cliche, but that it is a marathon and not not a sprint, you know, and I say that all the time man. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I love that. And a lot of people, you know, coming out of boot camps and stuff, when they're, they're taught this process and that they, when they see people not following that process that they learned and they think is the correct way, they get very impatient. They're like, well, we're not doing that. We need to do this. When are we going to do that? When are we going to do this other thing? We need to do this, you know? And so I, I think that patience is like huge. I mean, one of the things you mentioned this about, about the people skills, and I say this like all the time, but you can't build great software without great relationships and that patience ties into those relationships. I mean, you got to have patience to build these relationships. It takes time, you know? And so you might not get everything you want at first, but if you keep working at it and you keep building trust and building those relationships with your team, you know, not your UX team, but the people like the product managers, the stakeholders, the engineers, all the people you, you described before, that's where the magic happens, you know? And it takes time. It's not a quick thing. It's definitely not a quick thing. It's not going to happen day one. So I love that you found that. Uh, I think anybody thrust into the real world coming from boot camp, they learn that very quickly, you know? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because you think of the process as like, again, in boot camp, it's this this linear thing. And you hear a lot, and a lot of people mention it. It's a toolkit, right? It's your toolbox. It's your tool belt. And I think for a lot of people, when you learn it in a linear way, it's easier to understand and comprehend, right? Because you're sort of making sense out of madness, versus I'm learning a step, but that step could happen in any order. And so when you get into the real world and you're, you, you, you quick, I quickly realized, oh, things that, that maybe were important on this perfect project that I had in bootcamp aren't important on this project because X, Y, and Z is already defined by the company or because this already exists. And so we have to work within those constraints. And you said the, the patience, and again, still learning, uh, the patience in building relationships. I just recently, in fact, it was earlier this week, I think, had a meeting and I was presenting some first draft iterations of designs and my PM, I had, I had brought something to the table that the PM hadn't thought of. And in the rest of that conversation, I could feel, I was like, oh, I'm earning a little bit more trust, yeah, you know? Yeah, and yeah. so it's, yeah, it's absolutely. one of those things. It's like a, a reminder that, you know, it's like dating. You can't come in and say, you should trust me, <laughs> right? You have to earn it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, you mentioned data. Who was I talking to recently? 
something about, I can't remember, but I was talking to somebody recently. I can't remember if it was on, I don't think it was the podcast. I think it was uh, another conversation. I have so many stupid coffee chats. I can't. But anyway, we were talking about how work is like a dating relationship. I mean, you know, it's not an intimate relationship, but it is a relationship nonetheless. And there's a dance there, you know, there's a, there's a give and a take and everything else. And it is very much like that idea of like dating, early stages of dating. You get the honeymoon period and then, you know, you start to get to know them well and you know what they like and don't like. And then, you know, you you work together for long enough, you start arguing like married <laughs> married couple. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, I've seen it. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I love that you I love that you found that out. That's awesome. Uh, so anything else before we get out of here, anything else you want any other junior designers coming up out of a boot camp, looking for a role, career transitioners, anything else you want to say that we didn't get a chance to talk about today? I think the last thing that I would say, and it's really hard to embrace this piece of advice, even for myself, but don't put so much weight into your portfolio, but put that effort into how you present it. I think it goes back to the communication, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about the actual site, right? Communicate visually as much as you can versus using so many words. It's very easy to tell a story with words versus visuals, but also just how do you tell that story when you're walking through it? It's not so much about Mm -hmm. your .com or, you know, whatever, whatever you're using for your portfolio, but it's about how you explain the process and the storytelling. And it's interesting because that's the one thing that I should have mentioned too. Storytelling is a huge part of it, but storytelling is very different like than what I interpret storytelling as, right? Because as, as an, a, a oh, theater, the theater, it's a very stuff, different right? kind, yeah. of, kind of skill set, yeah. but it's that idea of what's the challenge, what's the reward, and how you present the work is, is almost more important than the work itself especially as a junior, right? Because because folks like you know that this is the perfect world scenario. Like if if I'm doing a review with you, right? Like, oh, create this, this, you know, dog walking app. Of course, like it's going to be the perfect situation. But how do I, how do I tell you my experience with creating that? I think is more important than the actual work itself. I I think that's totally true. And the reason why I just to throw that out there, it's not that you shouldn't put effort into the work, but the thing is that if you put the effort into the work, and it's the most amazing thing in the world. And you can't sell that. It was all a waste of time. Yep. The opposite is also something to avoid, you know, not putting the effort in and overselling something that's garbage is also bad. But find the sweet spot. Find the amount of time where you can you know, make the work really good, but also sell it so that people can buy it. Because if they don't want it, you just wasted your time. 100%. So that's awesome advice. I love that you put that. All right, Bobby, cool. So I got a few questions I like to ask all my guests to get help everybody out there listening to get to know my guests a little bit better. I got five questions. Uh, first one, what is your favorite non-design book? Favorite non-design book. I'm going to say The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. It's kind of career related, but it's it's okay. more of a like self-discovery book and it's, it's a, I, I found a great story of uh, when you're somebody who's, who likes to say yes to people, what saying yes to yourself means. And so I think I mm. found like that, that in, in that book. And so I think it's a really good self-discovery book. <laughs> I love it. What was it called? The Year of Yes? The Year of Yes. Yeah. Shonda Rhimes the year wrote of yes. it. Okay. The creator of Grey's Anatomy and Scandal. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Ah, I had no idea. Okay. I didn't realize he, he was I will confess okay. though, I, I typically don't read. I just listen to them. So if it's an audiobook, that's, yeah, that, that's that counts. Yeah, it counts. That counts. <laughs> yeah. Audiobooks counts. All right. What is your favorite non-design podcast? Ooh, you got me in the hook here. I, I'm just getting into podcasts. So the only ones I listen to are design right now. I don't okay, listen right, to, right. und- I don't listen to non-design podcasts quite yet. So if you have recommendations, tell me. Yeah. Well, I love like super nerdy, like history podcasts. So, like I listen to the history of Byzantium, the history of Rome, the history of, uh, you know, England. Uh, the British history podcast, those are, cool. <laughs> you know, hardcore history, stuff like that. Anyway, that, I like that. I, I listen to all that stuff while I'm like washing dishes and stuff with the earbuds in and like zone I've out, been but. watching like docu-series on Netflix a lot lately. And so I feel like maybe I should like tune into true crime or something like that, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah. We have the fascinating thing about the history podcast is like all, none of this stuff you learn in American schools. Of course You know, not. they teach you about a little bit of American history, some state history, whatever state you grew up in. 
But nothing about Europe, nothing about Asia, nothing about, you know, any places like that, right? Africa, history, no clue. So anyway, it's just fascinating. It's totally new stuff for me. Most of the stuff I'm like, oh, I have no idea that happened. (laughs) So, all right. What is your favorite meal? Ooh, I come from restaurants. I like all food and I used to bake cakes, but I'm going to say anything that is... Um, Spanish in flavor or or Mexican. So I'm I'm like a sucker for a good gu- chips and guacamole oh, and, dude, and tacos. Too. But something so simple, talking, but so good. So simple, but so good. If we're talking dessert, red velvet cake, cream cheese frosting, Ooh, all the way. Cream cheese frosting, dude. All That's like way. I think my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a really funny story. So uh, my wife Amy, we uh, have been married now twelve years. I think 12 years this year and a couple of weeks will be our 12 year anniversary. Congratulations. We started dating in college. Oh, thank you. We started dating. Uh, sorry. We didn't start dating in college, but we met in college. We didn't start dating until like years after we had graduated, but she had a crush on me and I didn't know this cause I was like a, just an awful college dude. I didn't have a clue what's going on. Anyway, I told Amy, I, I love, you know, red velvet cakes, like my favorite cake. And she baked me a cake and she's like, Hey, come over, you know, and we were just friends. We were not dating at anything. Uh, and she's like, Hey, come over, I baked you a cake. I'm like, all right, cool. So I show up. I don't even know that I went in the, the apartment. I just took the cake and I like literally left and I went home and like <laughs> smoked a bowl with my buddies and like ate the cake. And uh, anyway, Amy, I didn't find this out until like years later that like she had this vision of like 16 candles kissing over the cake. And, you know, unfortunately for Amy, I had never seen 16 candles. So I didn't even I had no idea that was a thing. And uh, anyway, funny story. We're happily married now. Uh, two kids. They're beautiful, cute little kids and uh, everything worked out. <laughs> but, uh, I actually tell me, I'm like, if we had started dating then, we, there's no way we'd be married now. Like you would have dumped me and you'd never talk to me again because I was an awful, terrible college dude. dude right? All right. So uh, what's your favorite vacation spot? Oh, well, I live in Florida. So uh, I'd say probably beach because it's easy because it's something that I can, that I can get to like on the weekend. So even right, if wave like a magic a short, wand, you go anywhere. Where would you go ooh, instead of easy? I know that's not fair. Um, <laughs> I would have to say New York City. Mm, I would have to say New York, New York City yeah. because I lived there for nine years and I like the slower pace here, but I love the energy of a city and everything that comes with it, all of the good and the bad. So it wouldn't even have to be New York City. I'd say any any major city around the world. Any major city? Yeah. So question about New York specifically. When you go back now, being older and wiser, do you do the subway or do you just say screw it and take a cab? So it's so funny that you mentioned that because I only moved three years ago and I was going to go visit, but the pandemic. And so I haven't gone back yet since I moved, but I'm going in April and I just had this conversation with my friend. So we're doing like six Broadway shows in seven days and all oh, of wow. the things. And, and, and she lives pretty North on the Island. And so I was like, well, I'll probably take the subway once just to remember why I left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny. I lived in New York for a summer, uh, in college. I got an apartment and, uh, I took the subway everywhere, dude. I would just hop on the subway. I would take it, get off a random stop, hang out coffee, pizza, lunch, whatever, just kind of find a bar, just hang out. And I was there by myself. I just like, I spent every weekend at a different stop somewhere on the, on the, you know, one of the trains. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And then Amy and I, we would go to New York and we would do the same. He was, oh, we love, you know, hang out. And then Amy and I went, this was like 10 years ago. I'm 41. This was like 10 years ago. So I was in my thirties. And before we had kids and we went out drinking, we, it was like two in the morning and we're waiting for the subway. And we're like, fuck this. Like, can we just get a cab? I'm tired. I want to go to bed. And that was like, at that point I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. I mean, like it's lost. It's like sheen. You know what I mean? I, so anyway, I feel I'm like too old for this. Very shit. much so. So subway leaving the house and Uber going home, depending on what the day brings, whether it was like a long day yeah, at work. I want to get home. <laughs> just want to get home. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last question. What's your favorite design tool that is not Figma? Not fit. Okay. That's fair. So I actually am partial to this tool called whimsical. I don't know if you've heard heard of it. it. A lot of people have it. So our bootcamp actually introduced it to us and we spent a lot of time in it. It's, it's a low fidelity, low to mid fidelity prototyping uh, and design. And it's, it's, you can, you can story map and, and user flows and uh, low fidelity design all in the same space. 
But what I like about it is that it's components and it does do kind of like a snap to grid. And so like, it's not like complete garbage. It has like a little bit of a nice aesthetic to it, even though it's only like grayscale. And it just is really, okay. I really enjoy like being able to just focus on, on that like low fidelity, yeah. but still look yeah, clean. It helps. It's kind of, kind of like, uh, uh, what was that tool? It used to look like you were hand, like hand drawn. Is it Miro? Uh, uh, not Miro. Uh, oh, this was like almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember the name. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter anyway. Cool. All right, Bobby. Well, that's it for me, man. I don't have anything else. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I, I hope some folks out there got something out of your experience. And uh, if, if anybody wants to find you, where can they find you? So you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Bobby Johnson. Okay. Look for a hat because I'm always wearing a hat and an orange background. <laughs> or there you, you can check out my portfolio website, which is just bobbyjohnsonux.com. And okay, perfect. thank you for All having right. me. I really appreciate everything that you've done. And I really appreciate the podcast because it's super helpful. So I will promote the hell out of it as well. Right on. Thanks, man. Well, I hope I hope it's been helpful. I'm not making any money off of it, so if it didn't help, well, there's no point in doing this shit. Uh, so, all right, Bobby, cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Well, all right, y'all, that's it for Bobby and I for today. I hope we helped to shed a little bit of insight on one man, just one man's uh, journey from career shift to boot camp to UX design. You know, remember, everybody's journey is going to be a little bit different, but I hope Bobby helped to shed a little bit of light on what it may be like for you and what you might want to expect. But let us know. I'm curious. How how was your transition? If you were a career shifter and you went from shifting career to boot camp, what made you decide to change? What boot camp did you do? Do you feel like you got anything out of it? Let us know what you think on LinkedIn or shoot us an email at hello at beyonduxdesign.com. I would love to hear from you. And if you like what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel like you're getting something out of the show, I would love it if you left a five-star review. Not just five stars. I'm talking about a couple sentences. That would help me out so much. And if you know somebody who might find any of this stuff useful, I'd love it if you told them about it. That'd be fantastic. And if you want to help keep the show independent and ad-free, check out those Patreon sponsorship packages at beyonduxdesign.com support. You can join Chris, Siroquan, Stacy, and Radu by supporting the show for as little as $3 per month. And there's some awesome perks like that badass holographic Beyond UX Design sticker, which I just ordered some more this past week. You can get a shout out on the show every week and there's even a package to meet with me for 30 minutes every month. I only have a few of those left. So if you're interested in that, sign up. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter and check out all the past episodes at beyonduxdesign.com. I hope you keep coming back for more great UX tips from Beyond UX Design. And until next time, remember, you're more than a designer because there's more to UX than design. I'll see you around. Take care, y'all. Do you want me to close the door? It's fine. Hold on. One. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, one second. Sasha, stop.